On October 1, 2012, SDCF and SDC, along with the Broadway Green Alliance, held a discussion on directing green. Director-choreographer John Carafa spoke with panelists Alan Hershkowitz, Senior Scientist for National Resources Defense Council, designers James Bedell, Andrea Lauer, and Danielle Worley, stage manager Marjorie Horn, and showman fabricator's owner Bob Usden. Hello, I'm director Pam Berlin, and you are listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the American Theatre Wing. Today's meeting is very specific. This is the first meeting where we're going to talk about what the director can do to make productions more sustainable, more green. The Broadway Green Alliance is way ahead of us. They're already doing incredible things on Broadway. Every, sh every Broadway show has a green captain. Um, there's a lot happening already, and it's time for the directors to really start to get involved. So that, this meeting is to come up with a set of ideas, or, or a list of ideas that we feel that we can take to the SEC board and say, would you make this the approved list of uh, practices for directors on not just Broadway productions, but productions all across the country, which is kind of amazing that the directors union, SDC director and choreographer union, can impact productions all over the country. So that's the idea of this meeting. And, and uh, you know, when, whenever we've had these, these uh, uh, meetings about this topic, we, re we get to about uh, an hour and a half in, and we realize that there's hours more that we could talk about. So I... Uh, and I know you're going to have a lot of ideas, and, I, and we want to talk about this stuff with other directors and uh, designers that are here. Uh, I, I made an email address just temporarily for this meeting only. If you have an idea, if you if the, if the email if you have an idea and you're like, oh, I wish I got to say this, email it to directinggreen at gmail.com. Because if you're like me, you're going to be lying in bed tonight around 11 o'clock, and you go, you know. The water bottles. We could do something with water bottles. You're going to have an idea after you walk out of here. So just email it to directinggreen at gmail.com. That's that. I think we should thank, we would have to thank Disney for um, donating the room, which is usually incredibly expensive to rent, and they gave it to us almost for free. And um, basically just for whatever you know, cost to put here. And uh, so Tom Schumacher and Cynthia, are you here? No. Uh, so Cynthia Leo and Thomas Schumacher from Disney, and we had. I, I just want to thank um, Ellen from uh, SDCF, SDCF, and Rebecca Sale and Susan Samplener and Charlie Duell from the BGA for making this uh, happen. Because it's, you know, it's hard to get things like this to happen in New York and get people to come. So thank you, for, thanks to all those folks. So let's. Um, we have today. What I what we did was I put together. Um, a, basically kind of a team for a director or a choreographer, a set designer, a costume designer, a lighting designer, a stage manager, and a person from set construction. So we can talk to them, and these guys who I brought in, I'll introduce them uh, in a bit, I call them the uh, superstars of sustainability, because they have pretty much, as far as I know, been people who have been on the forefront of the movement to make productions more uh, green in terms of the set design, lighting design, costume design, etc. So they're going to talk a little bit about what they've done already, which is uh, kind of amazing. And, um, but be, and I'll introduce them. But before they do, Alan Hershkowitz uh, is here. And he has a resume that really needs to be read. Um, it's impressive. So I'll give you a little. So Alan is a senior scientist at the NRDC, which is a natural resources. Uh, um, um, pardon me? Defense Council, yeah, thanks. Natural Resources Defense Council. 
Um, he joined the organization in 1988, has coordinated green initiatives on many prominent institutions, including the Academy Awards, the Grammys, the BGA, which was originally Broadway Goes Green, Major League Baseball, the NBA, and he'll tell you about this stuff, National Hockey League, the U.S. Tennis Association. Um, he serves on the DuPont Corporation's Bio-Based Fuels Life Cycle Assessment Advisory Board, has served on the National Research Council Committee on the Health Effects of Waste Incineration and Environmental Protection Agency's EPA Science Advisory Board Subcommittee on Sludge Incineration. So what I just read, there's about two more paragraphs of that that, that Alan has been involved in. Um, he's written about this topic and is deeply involved in it across the country. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to him to just tell us sort of where we are. Uh, and we're, I wanted to say, Alan, we're so uh, grateful and happy to be here. Well, I want to just uh, introduce Rebecca Sale, who is the coordinator of the um, Broadway Green Alliance. And I'd also like to introduce Susan Santanier and Charlie Duell, who are the co-chairs of the board of the Broadway Green Alliance. I was uh, working with these wonderful people to launch the Broadway Green Alliance back a few years ago. Um, I am a senior scientist at the National Resources Defense Council. We are an uh, international environmental research and advocacy group. We were founded in 1970. We have 1.3 million members. I have a budget of about $95 million. I uh, coordinate, among other things, the work in the, uh, saving Southeast forests from coal mining. Uh, I work on paper industry impacts in uh, Central and South America and in China. Uh, and I also oversee NRC's work related to uh, sports and entertainment. Um, I um, oversee the Green Academy Awards, uh, the, uh, the Grammys. Uh, the World Series, um, Super Bowl, um, the All-Star Games, I'm the principal environmental advisor for baseball, basketball, hockey, football, tennis, um, and uh, work on broken issues as well. So what I've been asked to do, I think, is provide you with sort of a context for why this work should matter to you um, as individuals and in the course of your day-to-day -day work. Um, I'm going to just give you a little bit of information about the ecological pressures we face. And uh, what's going to become clear to you right away is that um, there is no one single undertaking that we can carry out to solve our ecological problems. The problems are so big, they are the result of literally centuries of environmentally ignorant behavior uh, by hundreds of millions, billions of people. Um, so there's no one law that we could pass that's going to make things better. And there's no one industry that we could reform that's going to, if we take care of that industry, coal industry, oil industry, take care of those industries, they're going to solve our problem. And there's no one country, like China, India, the United States. Basically, all of us have to do something. Um, little things add up. Little things matter. In fact, um, probably know this, you know, Mother Teresa said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. And that's true. Um, so you've heard about this concept of, and, and, and why it's really, why do I work on sports and entertainment? You know, the footprint of professional sports, well, it's a $400 billion industry, and uh, the supply chain of professional sports is huge. The oil industry, the beverage industry, the plastics industry, the textile industry, the chemicals industry, 
food industry, um, the energy industry, all the industries, you know, baseball field or football field. It's got a big supply chain, but you know, individual events are not gigantic in their impact, but they have an extraordinary cultural influence. Outside of the family, athletes and entertainers are the most influential role models. So we use the Oscars and the Grammys and sports to amplify our message. The NBA, 5% of the planet, 5% of the population of the planet is connected to the NBA by social media. They have 800 million fans. 400 million of them are connected by social media. We advise the NBA on their environmental social media to get to these large audiences. We produce public service announcements for the National Hockey League that they show on ESPN and ABC TV and TBS and TNT that was seen by 40 million people just in one week. The National Hockey League has a million days a day on its website. And we have little icons and information there about environmentalism. So basically, we're trying to educate, you know, we work with NASCAR. Uh, in fact, just today, someone who represents um, worldwide wrestling contact. <laughs> and, you know, I don't really watch worldwide wrestling, actually. Um, but what I'm interested in is the people who do. Because, uh, you know, we can't keep talking to ourselves. We need to reach the masses. We need a cultural shift in the way humanity views our relationship to the planet. We need a, a cultural shift in the way we relate to the organism that gives us air to breathe. I mean, how should we relate to the organism that gives us water to drink or air to breathe? Now, if you look at previous cultural shifts, like let's just say the civil rights movement, government did not lead the way on civil rights. There was a cultural shift in Americans thinking about race relations, people in the streets, conflicts with place, and government was forced to act. The Vietnam War did not end because government led the way on defunding that conflict. Millions of people were in the streets. I remember the late 60s, early 70s, I was going out of Washington, D.C. Um, there was a cultural shift in our thinking about that war, and government was forced to act. Gender equality, drug driving, marriage equality. None of these issues is government leading the way. The same is true for environmental stewardship. In the last two years, the House of Representatives has passed 297 anti-environmental votes. Just in the last two years that want to roll back decades of environmental problems. And um, this is problematic because we're facing some really, really huge pressures. So you've heard about the term sustainability. Um, <coughs> it was a term coined in 1988 uh, by uh, uh, the United Nations Commission on Environment and Development that uh, had a meeting in Stockholm that produced a book called Our Common Future. They came up with this concept called sustainable development. Sustainability. It was the first time the word was used in the context of ecology. And what it means, as you know, is that we engage in business today, we engage in commerce, we engage in culture today, in such a way so that future generations have an equal availability of clean air, have an equal availability of clean water, have um, an equal availability of clean food, or ecosystem services from forests, or inspiration from species, that we basically leave the world no worse than we found it. So, you know, it's a challenge to do that because, you know, every day there's another 230,000 people on the planet. 
every six weeks another New York City's worth of population. So what we know is environmental impact, environmental impact is population times consumption times technology. I'll repeat that. Environmental impact is population times consumption times technology. We have more people on the planet every day. Consumption is going up. It's not going down. Between 2000, 1984 and 2004, personal consumption in the, 30 most, in the OECD, in the most advanced countries, grew uh, 26%, and government consumption grew by 15%. Consumption's going up, population's going up, and we are still overwhelmingly reliant on environmentally ignorant technology. Overwhelmingly, we still rely on fossil fuels for our energy. Um, we saturate our agricultural fields with chemicals. Um, we use toxic chemicals to make our electronics and our clothing. Um, so we have more population, more consumption, and we're still overwhelmingly reliant on environmentally ignorant technologies. So we could predict that the environmental impacts are going to be challenging. There's going to be a lot of pressures, and that's in fact what's happening. So every day, well, since actually the end of the Second World War, we've dumped a trillion tons of global warming pollution into the atmosphere. Every day, we emit 90 million tons of global warming pollution into the atmosphere. Tomorrow, we'll emit more because, um, than we did today, because we're actually increasing the amount still of global warming pollution that we're emitting every day. Um, you know the consequences of this. Um, this year alone, between January and July, in the United States, we broke 24,000 heat records. 2012 was the hottest year on record. Nine of the 10 hottest years in history are the, occurred in the last 15 years. This July was the hottest month ever. Um, the United Nations official report last Wednesday that said if current trends continue, 100 million people will die as a result of global warming pollution and the effects of climate change. The World Health Organization says already 350,000 people a year are dying as a result of global warming. Most of the impacts happen in the developing world. Uh, among those who are least able to deal with these pressures, you know, as a species, Homo sapiens are poor. Half the world, three billion people, live on two dollars a day. One billion people live on a dollar a day. Globally, we're really not politically, financially, or administratively designed or able to deal with the impacts of global climate disruption. The United Nations tells us that between now and 2050, we may see a billion environmental refugees, people who will lose their homes, or have already lost their homes. We have environmental refugees in the United States already from Hurricane Katrina. People who lose their homes because of droughts, monster storms, coastal erosion, climate-induced floods. A billion environmental refugees. We have about 155 million environmental refugees today. That type of forced migration at that scale is unprecedented. And the Pentagon has actually done studies 
that they call climate-induced wars. What will happen if there's a climate-induced drought in northeastern China that forces a million Chinese to try and go into Russia, the longest border of the world, the most militarized border of the world between China and Russia, seeking war? That's what happened like, in Darfur, Sudan. Okay, you know what happened there? You know, herdsmen were trying to find water for their for their uh, livestock because of a, a drought that was even more severe because of climate disruption, and they ventured into territories that you know had other religious uh, values, and they were met with the genocidal response. There was a climate component to that. Um, our ability to deal with, even as we're pumping more climate-changing chemicals into the atmosphere, our ability to deal with these pressures, we're, we're, we're undermining the ability of the Earth to sequester carbon. Every second, you know, there's 32 million eight, uh, seconds in a year. Last year, 32 million seconds in a year. Last year, we wiped out 38 million acres of tropical forest. More than an acre a second. And we wipe these tropical forests, I'm not talking about temperate forests, I'm talking about tropical forests, between the Tropic of Capricorn and the Tropic of Cancer, with conservation biologists called the latitudinal biodiversity rating, the most biologically rich part of the planet, is getting hammered the most in terms of deforestation. If current trends continue, within 100 years, we will have only 5% of the tropical forests left. They will cease to be functioning as viable ecosystems. And the species impacts, right now we are in, we're instigating a huge loss of biodiversity. Now remember, it's the little things that keep us alive. You know, um, if humans were to disappear from the planet, not even a dozen organisms would go along with us. If ants disappeared from the planet, life would be impossible. Ants create soil. Okay, you know, obviously no soil, no trees. You get the picture there no vegetation. Um, snails, mollusks, you know, calcium-containing organisms that put calcium into soil are essential for, for birds' eggs. You know, birds, no birds' eggs, no calcium, no birds' eggs, no birds, you know, nothing to eat the insects off trees. I mean, you know, our forests would be stabilized. It's the little things that keep us alive. But we, because we have consciousness, we sort of mistake the fact that we have consciousness for having biological importance. So we've just been you know, psychotically behaving as if the other species that live on this planet don't matter to us. Let me remind you that we've sent telescopes to far you know, parts of the other universe, other solar systems, other galaxies, looking for one thing, for life. And you know, we go to Mars, we're looking for water. Why are we looking for water? Because maybe you know, it could support, support some bacteria. You know, we've never found life anywhere but here on Earth, what we call the biosphere. It goes five miles up to five miles down to the bottom of the ocean, five miles up. It's called the biosphere. It's the only place in the universe that life has ever been found. And um, so life is, you know, the rarest thing in the universe, actually. And um, among all life forms on Earth in the universe, we in this room, you know, have been blessed with the human form, which is really the most capable form. We have consciousness. Uh, we have more influence than other life forms. And we really need to use that 
consciousness um, to do good, uh, to protect the planet and its ability to keep life going, not only for human species, but for other species. Water scarcity is a huge problem. I can't go on any longer because I've been given this sort of there's a lot, you know, actually, just about got through the first paragraph of my notes. <laughs> but, um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I, there's a lot more to say. You know, waste, billions of tons of waste being produced. Uh, you know, the ocean, you know, we've wiped out the large fish. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's being suffocated by acidification from, you know, from carbon absorption. I mean, in every sector, there are huge ecological pressures. The products that you choose to use in your productions, the energy you use, the paper you use, whether it's recycled or made from trees, the energy you use, whether it's renewable or made from fossil fuels, determine the future of our planet. It determines the wars that we fight. So what this discussion is about is, you know, and you know, can you do one thing? Can you switch playbills to recycle content? Can you just do one little thing? And these things add up. You know, foolish is the person who does nothing because they can only do a little. And that's really all we can do. So, um, given the fact that people from all over the world come to Broadway or watch TV, you know, your influence is magnified. And that's why it's so important for you to sort of understand, and I've given you a, a little comic book version, sort of depressing comic book version, but, <laughs> uh, you know, of, of the problems we're facing, but, you know, just embracing this cause a little bit would be, you know, really all we could do but get enormously helpful. So, um, you're going to hear some details from these colleagues here about how they're doing it uh, in their productions, which is very, very useful. Uh, and I'm going to sit around and hang around if you have any other kinds of questions. So, sorry for talking so long. <laughs> and, um, and thank you again for being here. And there's, there's one thing that you, you've said before, and you, you touched on it here, that I want to reinforce that the importance of the little things are that's really all that we can do. Um, and also the importance of the fact that we are very visible as an entertainment community to other people, and that can have an impact. So, um, I thought what we would do is um, let uh, each of the um, uh, designers talk a little bit about what they've done and what, where they are sort of with this issue, and then um, that'll take like 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, and then stop and then go through the stage of, of production and maybe talk about what the director's uh, role can be. So we'll go from pre-production to rehearsal to tech to the loadout at the end of the run of the show. Um, Danielle calls cradle to grave uh, sustainability. Um, and I think, why don't you guys, uh, I'll introduce you a little bit, but why don't you guys talk a little bit about yourselves and your career. But um, James Bedell, lighting designer, just give us uh, a little bit about you and about what you're doing. like. Five, ten minutes. Um, okay, so I've been a lighting designer here in New York for a little over ten years. Um, should I stand up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I went to school downtown at Pace University. I was a lighting designer down there, and then I 
started doing tiny little New York City theater, and I did it for about five years in tiny little spaces in Midtown and Brooklyn and then all over places that independent theater people work. Uh, from there, I moved into architectural lighting, and now I work for myself, and so I do uh, do special events, do marketing events, I do entertainment, I do architectural installations, whatever, whatever comes up. Um, I've talked about sustainability and written about sustainability a lot because you can't make light without burning something. That's just the way it is. Um, but in a lot of ways, lighting represents the low-hanging fruit in terms of what can change immediately in terms of energy impact in production. We're seeing technology improve. It's like computers in the 90s. Every year, the specs get, you know, gets cheaper, lighter, faster, brighter, you know. With computers, it was like you bought your Windows 95 computer, and then, you know, six months later, you're like, you know. It's the same idea with LED. They're getting brighter, they're getting better, and they're getting cheaper. So that's a good thing. The, the problem with that, or the, the challenge that we're going to face, is sort of embarrassment of riches problem. Because they're cheaper and they use less energy, designers and productions are compelled to use more of them, which really doesn't solve the problem. Um, so we have to get back to a basic sort of mindset about this. And so when it comes to directors and how to, how to foster this, I think about this in sort of three ways. As a designer, you guys are captains of the ship. You know, we look to you to guide the production. So the values that you instill in the production, we're going to follow. And so, if you come to me and you say, I want the biggest, brightest, blowout show imaginable, it's my job to give that to you. I will bring my own values to that, and I'll try to be as environmentally sound as I can. I'll use the materials and the products that I know will create the least impact. But if the mindset is bigger, brighter, faster, I have to give that to you, because that's what my job is. So, where your value set is, will start to drive where the production goes. So that's, that's the, the first thing. Um, so the next book really is shifting to sort of practical steps. I can't tell you how many times I've rehearsed in like a regional theater or a collegiate theater or someplace where you actually get to use the stage for a rehearsal. And the director will say, just kick on the stage lights, because I can't, I can't with these work lights. It just doesn't look right. And so now you're having a four-hour rehearsal that's not a tech under thousands of watts of electricity's worth of light just because you didn't feel like doing it and work like it. I, I've, I've seen it. And that, it's that sort of simple thing that's really a mindset thing. When it comes to other practical steps, inefficient tech is the most environmentally damaging thing that comes from the process. Once you're in learning mode, you've sort of decided your cues, you're using a minimum of equipment, you know, you're not really changing things once a show is off and running. But tech is where changes are made, and tech is where if you're not efficiently prepared to go into it, the more changes you make, the more hours you're using, the more hours you're using with more full light, the more changes you're making. So really refining your process with designers through the pre-production process into tech saves a ton of resources. Because if you're teching something and it should have taken three days in these run-throughs and now you're into your fifth, sixth, seventh day because you haven't thought about it, it's a massive waste of resources. And the third thing, and maybe this is lofty and not necessarily lighting related, but 
the content of what we're producing. You know, we talk about the little things, and I, I agree that every little step we make, every time we use a little less, every time we, we work smarter, every time I specify LED instead of halogen, we're making an impact. But think about the kind of material that was on Broadway, say, 10 years ago, and how it's impacted the culture today. Because 16-year-olds were going to watch Rent, and now 26-year-olds are watching Glee. We shift the culture by what we put on stage. This is something that we can do in our work. And so I think of it as sort of a three-pronged attack. Any show you've been asked to direct by producers, bring this mindset to it. Think of all these practical steps, and we're going to do that with the whiteboard later. And then think about the content you want to produce as an artist. And if this is really important to you, find a way to integrate it into your message. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to open it. Anybody have any questions for Jane before we go on? Any light, specific light questions? We'll talk a lot more, but great. So Danielle, mm -hmm. tell me your life, how to say Worley. it. Worley, uh, set designer. Hi, you guys. Um, so um, I'm a set designer, and um, you know, I hear Alan talk, and I, you know, part of me says, why am I building sets? Like, why am I not doing everything I can to promote the ideas that he just said? And then I come back to what I love about theater is we are in a room of people, uh, we get people together and we tell stories. And what I do in my work is I feel like I have the ability to take everything that he says and communicate this visually to a whole room of people. I'm telling stories, and I'm, what I want to do is tell stories to people that allows them to um, think about other things, to be inspired to create differently and to think about um, their place in the universe. Um, I think we have this wonderful gift to be able to speak to so many people that come to see art. I mean, it's kind of a crazy thing. People come, pay us money to see art on stage, and we have the we have all the tools to inspire them. And so it's a matter of figuring out what those tools are and educating ourselves. And I think our goal, my goal, James's and everybody's here goal, is to educate ourselves on a daily basis. And so then we can turn around and talk to you guys about simple individual things. And then you take it back to your communities and you inspire others to do the same. And it's a ripple effect. I mean, every time I hear Alan talk, I get more excited about the things that I can do. Like, what can I do in my little apartment? Well, I actually can do things. You know, three or four years ago when we started talking about this, you know, it was always like, I'm just one person, but we're not. Like, there's so many people that are interested in this. I mean, the VGA started three or four years ago now, and we found each other. Like, I found these guys by reading um, something online that um, Bloomberg had put out, and it was called Broadway, uh, Broadway Goes Green. And I was like, that's something where I, that's like something that I'm interested in. I've sort of been interested in the past. My parents were environmentalists. My dad was a landscape architect. Um, I used to work on Broadway as an associate, and um, this sort of thing culminated because I worked on a show called High Fidelity, and we worked for 13 months. And then ran on Broadway for 13 days, and the entire thing ended up in the trash. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, how can I be part of a system that is just about creating and destroying with nothing getting? I mean, to me, it was um, a particular point, I think, even Broadway, when money was just going into things without thinking about it. And um, 
uh, I couldn't do it anymore, so I quit my job and um, started to see what I could do. And what I could do was design in a way that was more software and more sustainable. So I had to educate myself, figure out how I could do that. Because there's no books, there's no like, there's nothing, there is actually a handbook now that I tell you about that gives you ideas of where to start. But it's literally about people having a desire, having a thought, having a desire, and then educating and figuring out the way to do it. Um, I mean, that's really, it's like you're, you're just kind of ground warriors. I, I feel like this change is about people at the bottom like wanting to make change, and then people at the top having a lot of having influence over, over others. So the Broadway Green Alliance has become grown out of a lot of people at the sort of at the bottom thinking and talking, and then uh, now we're involved in Broadway, so we can actually have, um, you know, we can actually say some things that actually make a difference, and people listen because it is Broadway, and so many people are come to see our shows. Um, as a set designer, I work specifically. I work with shops like Balas and Showing Fabricators. Um, to, um, to we, we have, we're basically about products and materials. And so the sets are composed of materials. So I try to choose, working with Bob, I try to choose materials that are responsible. Um, and one great little toolkit is called, this is um, the Molello Green Theater Choices Toolkit. And this was produced by Molello out of San Diego which is a, a theater organization there, and they got a TCG grant. Um, I think it was one of the Think It, Think It grants where um, they presented an idea, and what they wanted to do was um, rate products, um, either set products, um, costume products like um, textiles, woods, metals, glass, um, plastics, and they rated them from one, I'm sorry, four being the best to zero being the worst. And so this is an easy thing. You can go to the Malolo website. You can download this. You can send a request for them to send it to you. And then you just you study it. And I study it. I study it every day. Am I making the right choice? It's on the BJA's website. Yeah, on the BJA's website, too. I, I think now that they want you to sign up and then send you a copy. But it's an easy thing for you as a director to say to your designers, not everybody's familiar with this, so to say to them, oh, this, um, you know, when you look at this and you see Luan is at the bottom of the list, which is what most sets are surfaced with. It's a tropical wood. It's being harvested at a ridiculous rate unsustainably. I mean, that's exactly what Alan was talking about. Um, and yet we use it every day. And how many people, how many designers spec Luan every single day? Because they just don't know. It's not like I think people like, want to be irresponsible. They just don't, they're just not educated. And so that's our point is to educate primarily. And it's a, it's a love of, we have a love for it. Basically, it's not a paid job, you know, this is an addition to our job. So, um, but it, but saying that, it's it what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's ins inspirational to think that you're actually not just saying, I'm producing something that's going to last for six weeks and it ends up in trash. I mean, it's just, it's, um, when we, I talked uh, with the John about cradle, especially cradle to cradle. Um, what I love about our industry is that we have the ability to create something and then see it on stage and have its life. And then our next part of this process is where it goes next. And this is the largest challenge for set designers and probably other designers as well. What do we do with it? It's, it's a thing. We create a thing. And how do we responsibly deal with that thing in the universe? And so I don't think we, we've ha we don't have a great answer for that. 
Um, I love when we can get our my sets into another organization. That's the ideal. Hey, Danielle, just, uh, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. just for for these guys, because they might, you know, we as directors, we don't necessarily understand the specifics of what you're talking about. Tell us basically what is important to do, you know, in terms of reuse, recycle, you, you know, using things that, you know what I'm saying? Like very specific. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, just in terms of like the specific focus is to use something that is, not going to be thrown away, or to you know, or to use pre-existing materials. Like, what did you do right. on Star Catchers that okay. made it a sustainable production? And I'm going to ma make you go briefly because we're already yeah. already running yeah. out of time. Um, but go ahead. Okay, so things specifically what we did for Star Catchers is we used materials that already existed. So Disney had tons of materials. They said, "Come look at our materials," and we used them. Um, Bob and I we created a proscenium made out of found objects. It's all um, toys that we collected, things that we found. Uh, or things that people donated to us. That's one thing, building out of salvage materials. And why is that better? Um, it's better because it already exists. Uh -huh. So you're not, it's in, out there in the world, you're just finding it and using it. 95% of a product's impacts happen before you open the package. It's upstream in the manufacturing, in the raw material acquisition stage and in the uh, manufacturing stage. If you could reuse, you avoid all those upstream impacts. Great. And if you make things from, use things from recycled content, then you also avoid those upstream impacts. And is that why you won the Tony Award, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> great, great. I think that that's that's a big help. We'll yeah, get more into yeah. it into the into the big. Uh, thanks. Great, Andrea Lauer. So the same thing, Andrea. Give them the specifics about um, Andrea's doing. Uh, bring it on right now. Um, about um, what is impactful? What what can one do? What's what what are good things to do uh, in, in wardrobe design? Well, I think one thing that um, Danielle hit on, and, and it's something that John we had talked about, is this um, the idea a little bit about uh, there's an idea about approach and and how we inspire ourselves and each other and put our into the world and we give it back and how like what is that exchange? And I think one of the things that I find most compelling is process. And as a costume designer, for me, I think, because there's lots of other different factors, of course there's materials, of course there's there's lots of other things, especially the consumer world. I mean, essentially costume designers are consumers. We're insane consumers. We go out and buy stuff. And we're asked to buy too, because they have laundry. And then you know, it's like all this crazy stuff. And then today you're like, I mean, I literally have consumer remarks. So I sit there and I got a you know, glass of wine and I think, I have just spent so much money on socks or something, you know, and you just think that's crazy. And one of the things that like kind of came up in our conversation was like, what did a director do? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And then I thought, be open to a new way of thinking about the process. And I say this specifically because, and I can give you just a couple of examples of one is, um, do you always have to go buy everything new? And there are already costume designers, and we're notorious for going to stocks, pulling things, putting them into other things. We're always, you know, borrowing, and a lot of that is common, simple common. Like we just don't have money. But if you really think about it, um, I can. I have dream projects. So if anyone wants to do it, let me know. But it's like, why wouldn't you just say, all right, we're going to do this uh, marriage figure And we're all like, all right, great. We have money to do it. Why wouldn't you say, okay, Memphis just closed. 
marriage figure out in the clothes of Memphis and the set of this, but reimagine through your own lens as a designer. Because you really, like as designers, it would be an homage to, of course, the people who designed it originally. And it's like, what if we could take all those things, and I might not make it in the 1950s, I might take all those clothes and make it like some strange period, but I reuse the materials that already exist. And I think that's one thing that we can think about, like just conceptually, like let's dream a little bit. But another thing is, um, oftentimes, especially in Broadway world, you're expected to have two of everything, and I'm not sure people know that, and it, it's insane, I think. Um, but it's necessary for equity rules and, and for many other many other rules. But um, one of the things that I started doing was saying, do you really need two of the same thing? And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, all right, well, if you go to matinee, and this is Jack, and you think it's like really awesome, it's got a bird on it, it's red. If you come to the evening show, are you willing to see a red jacket with vines on it that has the same motif and gives you the same feeling about that character? And it's, it's not funny. People don't really think about it. And, and tell, people, tell them why it's better. Is, yeah. It's because if you do that, you can go to thrift stores, um, use recycled goods. Um, I've been known to go to textile drives and ask if I can go through the bags. Um, so I think there's a lot there. And then what's hard about, you know, we go, you go somewhere and you're like, okay, it's the perfect shirt. And clearly this is the characters in this pod shirt. But what if you have to find another one? And then you have to really, it's like, take your process outside and say, why is it? Like, why is that shirt so important? What is the color, the weave, the pattern? Where else can I find it? Can I go to another thrift store? And so you become these scavengers of used items. And that's actually why I'm designing. I'm in love with objects. And their stories and their history. And so I'm just trying to incorporate more history <laughs> and you reuse those objects. And there's one, um, as just a quick example, which might be kind of fun to know about. It's like last year I was asked to do this pop. And uh, I was, it was fall stack. And I was sort of thinking about it, and you know, I was like, all right, we're going to do this, but like, why, what period are we going to do it? And the director and I were talking, just like thinking of ideas, like, why do this piece? What's important? And all of a sudden I was like, well, what, what's a period seems right for this? And we kicked around a bunch of ideas, and I was like, oh my god, we should do it in the 70s. Because every time I turn around, I find more 70s things. Like, <laughs> I can't tell you, I go, you know, they're like on the street, and then you walk in Brooklyn, and you're like, oh my god, a pair of shoes. It's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> and I was like, what if we did something that I know kind of already exists out there, and I'm going to post an album credit. So I did the post in Texas in New York and in Boston, so the production was. And I had a call out for 1970s clothes. And I took two days and I rented a car and I said, come get them. I don't care what you've got. If you don't want to take it to Saudi Army and you want to go to that trouble, I'll do it. But it needs to be 1970s. Now, of course, you get to 80s and 2011. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought one of the fun things was. Actually, I had a costume almost the entire show off of these goods. And it also inspired me to be more creative because I thought, all right, this is what I've got. I've got six things, and that's all I've got. So I better be able to figure this out. You know, it's just like you starting to use what's just around you and writing out of how you. So I really think sort of process and the way you get yourself inspired about work is a really strong way that directors can, we can communicate between artist and director. And then, Take it to your actors. 
walk in the first day when they have design process. You know, we've all had this process, and then all of a sudden it's time for the actors come in, and your process begins, and occasionally we have design presentations that I think are great, and sometimes they're a bit of a lost art, because you can never get anyone in the same city. But it's there that I think a director, when talking about the design or the concept of the show, can also say, hey, we're also going to try to do this as green as possible. And it already sort of puts that idea out into the room. Maybe it increases awareness about lots of other things besides the particular theater piece. But I also think it opens up a willingness for then an actor or performer to come in and think, all right, I might wear two different, I might wear two different skirts. You'd be surprised how many people are like, I want to wear the same skirt because it's part of like who I am when I walk out on stage. But then once they know why, people are really behind it. And I think it just, I don't have to really set the tone to be open. Yeah, and, and I'm really going to really put that on hold because we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the director's role in a second. Okay. But let's let's That's anything it. else? Yeah, thanks. I'm out. <laughs> thanks, Andrea. Great. Uh, where's Marjorie? Oh, there you are. <laughs> All right, um, go ahead, Bob. Give us just give us again a thumbnail because we're going to have no time to talk about the director's role of what. Is happening? What's happening in your world uh, in construction of sets? That just so directors know a little bit about what's already going on. So I guess you could say I have a bit of a split personality um, because on the one hand I own a company that builds scenery, theater, and television, um, and I do everything possible to run my company as green as possible, as sustainable as possible. So in terms of we buy 100% uh, green energy credits, we. Uh, have reduced our lighting load. You know, everything we can do to run our shop, um, we have an 82% recycling rate of everything that comes out of our shop. And probably most importantly, everything that we build, we take back. If we build, we put it out there, it's our responsibility to take back. A little secret there, I do it because it's the right thing to do. I also do it because we make money on it. Because it's a, it's a very efficient way for us to operate, and everything that comes back, we recycle, we reuse, we recycle, we donate to so it becomes a very efficient way for us to operate. Um, but the other part of my split personality is that I am really just a master of you. <laughs> I love, I'm sorry, I am, I'm a slave to you. You are my master. <laughs> and, and I'm, no, I was going to say I love you for slave. But <laughs> um, I love working with somebody like Diana because she cares. But I can only react to what she wants us to do. And if being green and greener is a priority for her, we can make it a priority and we can support that. But I can't tell you that Danielle and two other designers that we work with frequently, they are the rare exceptions. The vast majority of my clients, particularly on the television side, um, really couldn't give anything to the green. As a matter of fact, they only want to hear about it. They so much don't want to hear about it that the first thing in every one of our proposals is show me green, we can help you be greener. Nobody's ever taken us up on that except for the designers that already have made that a priority. Um, so it becomes you know, very difficult for us if, if you guys don't make it a priority and if the director hasn't said to the designer, this is important to me, and the designer says to the shop, this is important to me. Um, that's the only way we can react to that. And so that's the biggest thing. There's a lot of things, and I saw there were some designer hands that went up, and there's a lot of resources that we have um, developed um, to, to support greener productions, and I won't get into any of them now, um, but 
there's a lot out there, and so a lot of it's on the BGA website already, and there are other websites I can point you to. Uh, but the most important thing I want to put out there is you guys got to make a priority, and when you make a priority, and the designer makes a priority, then there's a lot of great shops out there that, that can react to it. Amazing. Thanks, Bob. Great. Like I said at the beginning, we could go on for hours easily, but um, this is Marjorie Horn's face uh, management, tell us what about. Um, and you have a green kit, right? I have a show and tell green kit. We have one up in the front too. It is um, available on the BGA website, is it? Mm -hmm. um, it just goes out to... At the moment, it just goes out to green caps. To green caps. A lot green of the information is on the website Oh, yeah. Still can't see. Mostly what I want to share is the fact that as the director, you're the focal point. You are what the show is going to be. It's your vision. So if you come into, if you get hired anywhere, not just on Broadway, anywhere in the country, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do uh, it is to expand uh, the Broadway Green Alliance, expand uh, the whole green um, uh, milieu, the whole venue, everything, is you go in, you get hired, you take a play, and it's your vision. So if you come into this, to this vision with a point of view of what can I do green? Then you share that with your designers. You're going to share that with the theater that you're in. And from my point of view, you're going to share that with the stage manager. You're not. You're going to be going to theaters everywhere in the in the country, and not everybody that you're going to be meeting are green yet. They're not focused on it yet. So if you, those folks that are in this room now, the next show that you take out, think in your head when you take when you read the script and when you look looking for your set, going to your costumes, how can I help make this environmentally sustainable? How can I work with my designers to do that? How do I work in the regional theaters, in the small professional theaters that aren't there yet? They're not um, they're not savvy to it yet. So you guys can go out and become the spokespeople for what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, the Tell me a little bit about what is happening, like what has what the Green Captain does. They don't know the nuts and bolts of it, like what a Green Captain does, what's happening on Broadway productions right, right now. So what we do right now in a Broadway show happens, and the focal point for Broadway Green Alliance is Broadway. It doesn't mean that it should stay that way. We absolutely should be expanding. But what happens right now is um, if it's an equity company, we have equity as partners, act as equity as partners. And if you have a first rehearsal meeting with actors equity, because any show that's in New York, for the most part, a, um, a representative from an outside rep from Actors Equity comes in to meet with you, talks about your health, your um, the rules, getting you a deputy. Now we also have the outside rep will also say, this is also going to be a green company. 
If someone would like to be the green captain for the company, please volunteer or pick one, talk about it, and pick one. So we have um, uh, the partnerships is that from day one of rehearsal, there is a green captain in the room. If you as directors can be part of the energy of participating in that, that's again, it's huge because you again, like I said, are the vision. You are what is there. So if you can give in that first meeting group some time to say, how are we going to be green? The rehearsals, the rehearsal room should be set up green. There are guidelines. I um, I was the um, green captain for the Tony Awards office because that's a show that I do I, um, every year. So this year I went in going, okay, how am I going to do this? We've never done this. There's been a little bit of green things the last couple of years in the office, and it's TV. And so I went in and shared. And they're the PAs and the interns and the script department all became came aboard right away. So if you as you and your stage manager go in and start the rehearsal room, I brought in vases and put signs, corks, bobcats. They're everything can be recycled. Your batteries. Uh, here in the green kit, we have a whole list of where things go and how they can get done. Recycle bins. Make sure that um, that they're uh, that the signage is there, and then you give your stage manager time to remind people and to get excited about it. And um, then going into the theater, tech is the hardest. No matter what, no matter where, tech is the hardest because it's so focused on what the show is and all the new stuff. But if you and your green captain and your stage manager still have the energy and the focus on how do we keep green, and James was saying things about the, the lighting, and you're going in and um, be really careful about the structure of your rehearsal time and how you can use that uh, with lower energy. And then allowing the backstage to be set up. Anything you can do to get your crew on board, that would be great. In the small theaters, you have a really good relationship and very one-on-one uh, -on -one with your backstage crews and your, your people who are going to be running the show. Get them aboard. Talk about it. Say what you need to say. You know, just say that you know, let's see where else we can go. I just ran into on the subway coming up. Uh, I ran into Michael Bright coming up and told him where I was going. And first thing he said to me, paper. And that was John and I were talking about that. Uh, Spook and I were talking because Donnie and I were talking that um, in the olden days, if there was a strict change, People put it in pencil and they struck it out and then they wrote it down. And then when there were pages of changes, you'd get the pages. Now it's crazy, you've got the printer in there and every time there's three words changed, you get a new piece of paper. If you can be, again, with the writer, we haven't even talked about the writer yet, um, say, let's take the changes down 
And at some point at the end of the week, all the changes will be given to you, all in one thing, and not that, because another page might get changed again. So thinking in those terms is the best. And also, again, in the smaller shows, the shows that run for shorter time, you guys are there still. A lot of times you'll still be there. So go in for the out. And make sure that there is somewhere that that set's going, somewhere that the costumes are going. Somewhere you can recycle makeup and hair goods and things like that, and that again is in the green kit. There are letters that we send out that tell the wardrobe and hair department and costume department and, um, and how, how to recycle, how to get rid of things. They, the Mac will take uh, makeup with that. Um, you good? Yeah. <laughs> uh, paper, one of the reasons paper is so important, paper industry is the number one industrial cause of deforestation, it's the number one industrial consumer of fresh water, um, and it's the third largest industrial source of global warming pollution. I remember I showed up at the Sony lot when I first started working on the Academy Awards, and I got my little office in there, and um, you know, over a thousand people work on the Oscars, but they don't all show up, you know, on the first day. It's, it's constant, like people show up every day. So every day, they, would, they print out a new staff list with phone extensions. And um, I got my first one, single-sided. Next day, single-sided. You know, and as more and more people come, it gets more and more paper. Um, you know, we quickly double, I mean, there's no reason. Now, some scripts, for scripts, you know, some scripts you can't double-side. You know, just the way things work logistically, you know, with the director and you know, whatnot, sometimes got to be single sided, at least with the Academy Awards. Um, but staff lists to double sided, we saved them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, the World Series, the All-Star Game, 11,000 media guys, 500 pages each. They distribute them. Now they're doing it electronically. So if you could, re- and it saves them money. Mm-hmm. Paper. TV's yeah. um, big on, on doing lots of paper and lots of script things. And with the Tonys, they have started doing double-sided for the production schedule because it has to change a little bit every day. So they, this year, they didn't send one out every day. If it was a change, they would send it out. If not, we stayed step, which was the first year that we did that. Um, so we have about 20 minutes. Yes. <laughs> I just, you mentioned the green kit a couple times. Is that yeah. the same green kit? Yeah, so the, I thought I'd, I'd give a little, just a little thumbnail on some of the more specifics of the, uh, of the organization. The green kit, maybe Rebecca, you want to tell them what's in the green kit? The green, the green, there's a green captain chosen, just like there's an equity deputy chosen for Broadway shows now. The green kit has things like um, a list of better practices for the, um, for the green, de- the green captain. <clears throat> Things like um, everybody gets their own water bottle instead of getting a different water, and they use that water bottle, the whole production has their name on it, or uh, um, just a, a huge list of better practices for the show. And all the better practices information is on our website. Yeah, it's on Broadway Green. So, and, and so, uh, the, where's Ginny? So write education on the, on the board. That's number one. Because the, the first thing is, I think there's so much information. As I've been listening to these guys, I was going to stop them all. But I realize there's so much information about like what actually makes, what are, what are good practices? What are more sustainable practices? What are, what are green practices on a show? Less paper. Less, don't throw away plastic. But if you're like me, I don't know a lot more uh, beyond that. 
So um, educating directors to me is going to be a key and what we're talking what we've been talking about doing is creating a directing green page on the Broadway Green website. And the direct, directing green page will answer what I think you have uh, the thousand questions you probably have right now about like well what are better practices in a theatrical production. And that's the word better practices, not best practices. Don't get caught up on the best. Emerson said the ideal is better. Um, if you just do better, because you know the best is constantly changing. Technologies is, you know, as gentleman pointed out, you know, it's constantly evolving. You know, what's wonderful today is going to be obsolete in a year. If you could just do a little better, maybe you can't double side all of your paper. Double side some. You know, maybe you can't change all of your lighting. Maybe you can't get renewable energy for everything. Actually, you know, you can't for all of those. <laughs> just do a little bit better. Right. Um, uh, so the the, uh, the green captain um, also has letters to bring to wardrobe and makeup uh, to sort of inform them about better practices. Um, what are some other specifics that are in the green captain's handbook? They get a whole stack of things. There's also I just added there's a Terra Cycle Brigade list to show you where um, you can put different. There's Terra Cycle is a company that recycles things that normally wouldn't be recycled. Like chip bag, Terra Cycle, T E R R T E R A. So on Broadway, there's a whole organization that's already in place to support green practices, better practices, and Broadway directors can go into a production and support the green captain. But and off, it's beginning to happen off Broadway. But uh, directors can begin to, and tell me if I'm wrong, but. Can't directors begin to establish green captains in regional theaters? Off in you know they can directors can do that, and it's really not reaching much further than Broadway right now, right? There's a few off-Broadway productions. Am I wrong? And the, yeah, and the tour and the tours of the Broadway, big Broadway shows. There is a lot of information out there for anybody in, in any yeah. aspect of the theater. Yeah. Um, because so many people care about this and are working on it, so and just to let everybody know that the Broadway Green Alliance. And you'll find the Broadway Green the Broadway Green uh, website. Um, this is going to sound like criticism, but it isn't. Isn't yet organized. There isn't a page where a director can go and go. What are the things I can do? Or, you know, you can see what their things are for designers. Or for, go ahead, Rebecca. Josh, what I was going to say is we're in the middle of redoing the website right now, but there is a page called Theater Professionals. If you go to the website. Go to the section called Theater Professionals, and in that section, there's one for pre-production. That has everything you need to know for all the design and any directing better practices we have so far are on that page under pre-production. The next page is called Production, and that's everything about the operating of the shows. So if you just go to those two pages just to get started, left-hand column is a list of better checklist of better practices for pre-production and production. Start there. And then I think what we want to come out of this with John is come up with a specific thing. We have them already for designers mm -hmm. to come up with a specific section for directors and choreographers. And we can make that our next minute. We have not established that yet. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the pre production, that stuff is there. You need to start starting to think about it. 
And, and what, what this meeting is about, what I think this meeting needs to be about is what can we, what can directors do? And I'm going to throw some ideas out to maybe hopefully start that. One is there can be a page in every SDC contract that has um, the information about uh, the BGA, about where to go if you're interested in making your production greener. Um, it can be, it can go out with the SDC contract. And these are the things I'm going to suggest to the board. And these are the ideas I want to get from you guys. Um, I, I think the first uh, design meeting, we should suggest that directors bring up, um, ask their designers for a green option for the set. And ask their designers to um, just let the, and, and uh, apropos, uh, speaking to what Danielle said, set a tone that um, a, a production, uh, that the direct, that, is, that it matters to, to you as a director. Because as the director, you know if you, uh, come in every day eating uh, chocolate jelly beans, you'll find everybody in the production is eating chocolate, chocolate jelly beans. What you do wears off on the records of the production. So first design meeting, the director sets the tone. Um, these are the ideas I have. I, this is what I've come up talking to these guys so far. First um, day of rehearsal, the director points out the green captain and tells everybody in the cast, this is the most important person on our show. And this is somebody we should listen to, and that it's very important to the director and the rest of the team. Um, so that's first day of rehearsal. Um, we. Uh, and Charlie, yeah. if, if there isn't an equity meeting, they haven't had that already. Let the, have the director discuss it, and then pick one from the first day. Of well, that's the other thing, and I, I, I just, I, I just have to talk to you guys about protocol with that. But can we suggest that directors? Recommend there be a green captain if they're at, um, you know, North Shore Music Theater. You know, if they're at a, is that is that oh, kosher? Yeah, go ahead. Mike. It's kosher. I mean, the thing is, is that we have to get the. It has to come from the top, right? We want to have the producers and the theater owners say that they want to be on the board. If you, as director, consider them. This is important to me. There is an organization. There is an organization called the Broadway Green Alliance that you guys could join and be a part of. Are you willing to? And we only have three things we ask. We ask that they have a point person. They do better, something better than they did the day before. And they report back to us twice a year. That's not tough. That's a three very easy things to do. So you, as a director, could say, "This is important to me. Would you guys join the BGA to to become part of that and just do those three things?" At that point, we would then work with that theater to help them figure out what they could do and would become part of that. That's not only what they can do, but it's really important to just ask for the product or a green approach, even if the product is not currently available uh, in a um, cost-competitive way. The market, asking the, sending a message to the marketplace that you are asking for environmentally preferable product is part of the greening process. The marketplace will not know that, that it needs to evolve unless you inform it that it needs to evolve. Last year, we used fuel cells for the first time at the red carpet event pre-show for the Oscars. It took us five years. When we started working uh, you know, greening the Oscars back in 2008, the diesel generators. 
We went and said, can we get biodiesel fuel? We said, okay, we'll look at the biodiesel. It only came in 1,000-gallon drums, and all we needed was 150 gallons. Okay. <laughs> Next year, we got, you know, we got the right size, but they were very noisy, the biodiesel generator. We couldn't use them. It was making too much noise. Make a long story short, by constantly asking and working with Saunders Electric and Pat Scripter and the people who basically put you know, the electrical together for the red carpet, last year we got silent hydrogen fuel cells small enough to power the pre-show and the red carpet event. But it was only because we kept sending the message out to the marketplace. In the case of the Academy Awards, by the way, because as you all know, Hollywood is a very small place, people do the Academy Awards, do the Grammys, they work for Sony, and they work for Universal, they work for you know, Fox, they work on movies. So this stuff just sort of goes viral. And now you're seeing the studios you know, start to incorporate these technologies as well. Um, does anybody have any burning uh, idea that they want to get out there? Yes. <laughs> Um, I'm a director, not at the Broadway level. So, um, but so much of what I do is uh, producing and directing, and that's on a shoestring budget. So many times you are uh, um, already recycling and reusing as much as possible. But output, you still have output and at the end of the show. You still have like okay, now what? And uh, you know you have your trailers for arts, but still you have some left over, and you also don't always make your money back. And so my idea is interest. Use your Pinterest. Huh. Uh, audience who can, they like the props, they like the costumes, they can buy them and help make up out of money lost or build money for your next show. So okay. use Pinterest for your show. I think at the very end, social media is huge in our industry. And that's how I found Evan James on Twitter because somebody, because Ian with the Center for um, Sustainable Practice in the Arts, um, I was following him and then he is following James and that's how we found each other. I mean, there, the Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, um, um, I use ArtCube, which is another group of, of um, designers in New York. There are tons, there's people out there, and people, yeah, it's, it's, it's about, about communicating information, yeah. it's about publicity. And that's one thing I think directors have the ability to do is promote. You're the leader, and you're the promoter. And getting this stuff in the playbills and in the promotional materials for your show um, is, makes a huge difference. Put publicity in there. I'm, yeah, I'm com I'm, I've been confused about that, because we've talked about that at BGA about an important part of, of um, uh, a director working on a production and, and supporting better practices is also getting the word out to the general public or everybody who comes, if everybody who comes to see that show knows that, it just sort of helps the cultural change that Alan's talking about. But what part in that the director can play, I'm not sure. I mean, you can talk to the publicists, you can talk to the producers, and so I'm a little, I'm a little torn on that. And by the way, I just want to say one thing. And I want you guys, we have like 10 minutes for you to talk. If any, anybody else has anything else they want to say from, from you guys. I, I'm, I think it's very important as directors that we don't talk to other directors about um, what kind of like artistic statements they're making. Like saying, you know, it's better if we do productions that have a message that's green. I don't think that's at all what this is about. And I think if we make it about that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn directors off. Because, like, don't tell me that I should be directing Anne of Green Gables with the real Green Gables. You know, you know what I mean? It's, it's really more about the actual practical things you can do in the room and with your designers. And um, You can also educate, you know, your, your, um, your, your colleagues. Um, in the Green Room of the Academy Awards and in the Grammys, um, we have a little note from the producer, you know, from the Motion Picture Academy and from the Recording Academy, talking about the Green Room issue. Um, you know, 
this year for our fifth year, we are, you know, we've done, you know, we've sourced our wounds in, in paper products, and, you know, with an eye towards environmental, you know, environmental responsibility. And yeah. just, and we just put that, and you know, actually, you know, with the Green Room and the Academy Awards, it's a big deal because, you know, that Green Room is designed by Architectural Digest. It's like, you know, you can't muck with that Green Room. But we managed to get a beautifully framed statement, you know, that comported with the, the design of the Green Room and, you know, placed it in the right place. That was approved by Jack Nicholson and, you know, because it's like his, li his personal living in that Green Room. And Go ahead, yeah. Or somebody got to talk. Go ahead. You've Just been a meta observation. Innovation often occurs at a glacial rate by the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. And it's the small shops that are creating technology or, or making costumes that really, because of Gaudi-like constraints, really innovate. Wow. So it's one thing to recognize from the top down uh, a self-fuel contribution, but I'm wondering what is being done that could be inspiring small shops from directors mm -hmm. and you know announce their presence apart from recognition. So let, let me ask because most of the room are directors. Yeah, are paper texts happening like on a regular rate when you're doing a show? Like, is that something that you're doing every time you do one? Because it's such an enormous. I feel like that's a step that's getting lost more and more in the process. It should be at that, that first design meeting. It, so that's a big one. So support supporting paper tech is because a big one. I know a lot of times directors or video or, or anybody. I mean, it's not just directors. Designers aren't always prepared for it either. But it's like, oh, paper tech. It feels like an extra step in the process. When you walk in the room and you know exactly where cues are supposed to happen, what the big chunks of time are, it, it speeds up and it makes the process so much more efficient. And whatever level of theater you're working on. It's yeah. a really, really effective stuff. Great, great. Uh, who else? Who else out there? I'm just, oh. I, I, oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I've been working on, the, on the, uh, a Broadway show for about seven years, and I and I have had a lot of trouble getting any green initiatives out there. I didn't even know there was a green captain uh -huh. designated by equity, and I think that there there tends to be a lack of communication between. Wait, you're in a show that doesn't have a green captain? I, they probably do. I don't know about it. Interesting. As a creative director, I. Because I find that the equity meetings are, are like, it's like, okay, now leave the room. Mm -hmm. And there is very little communication. Right. Like, there, there's sort of the interest in getting the directors and the, and the designers and everybody else out of the room so that there can be a kind of a private equity meeting. So I think it's wonderful that this is happening, but I wonder what kind of uh, conversations can happen between the equity and the SDC and the designers. Like, there's all these separate unions, so it's nice to know Broadway Green is. I, I think that's like, about your relationship with your stage manager. Yeah. And finding out who the green captain is, and and, and the uh, stage manager, I think, is the other key person besides the director who plays that. So totally, totally. Set the tone, pivotal place. Hold on, hold on. In the back, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> wanted to say uh, that I think collaboration is an incredibly important word in the future of of environmentalism, but also uh, considering we're a collaborative art form, one of the only like real, true collaborative art forms in the world. And it feels like on this kind of an, an, a movement, uh, I, like I wonder, for instance, like I'm glad that this is a directing panel, right. but it, it feels more like it should be a roundtable with the writer and the producer and the, and the PR people. Well, the, everybody's got to do something, but today's focus is like, what can the director do? Yeah, totally. What can well, we what do? I mean and maybe the panel should thing. have a direct a producer and a writer on, is what you're saying. Totally. Yeah. What I mean is that the, the as like. Somebody said that, that a director's the focal point is their vision, and to an audience too. When you go into a show, it's not just 
the show that you that you see, it's the space you come into, it's the air conditioning in the lobby, it's the things in the lobby, it's the whole experience. So, and it's that play, it's when a playwright is demanding a huge set and lots of set changes. Right. There's so many things that go into what the director's job is huh. that go beyond just a director in the room and they're isolated. You know, I want to say something, if I may, about that, because I, I think that's where being open to a new process is really bad. Because what you're talking about is is looking at the, the beginning workings of this thing and you're saying, like, what's being written in and what's being done that. Like, I, I feel like that that is um, part of the place where, like, as directors, you should you, you can welcome a different type of process and open up your minds to saying, how can we, what can we do, and not only speak about it at an environmental level, but challenge yourself as an artist to, to do something. Yeah. And also to take fear to another realm or other levels, like bringing new technology and, and, uh, and things to... So what, again, anybody, any, uh, what, 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 can, what can we suggest to directors across the country other than just do it better? <laughs> Go ahead. I, I think one of the things important here is be, be validated. Uh, mm -hmm. I know Danielle's not on our website, and that uh -huh. can have to be that, so she's putting it out there publicly. And talk about it. Talk about it. So be public about it. What else? Go ahead. Well, this is something that I guess I'd like to hear from you guys how to phrase it. But like you mentioned that you want directors to be encouraging. What's the best way that a director can be encouraging without feeling like they're like, you know, five, find five hundred tin cans and integrate them somehow into your design? You know what I mean? Like what's the balance between giving you creative freedom while allowing you to, you know, work environmentally sustainable? You know, I've never had a director say um, they're interested in creating a sustainable production. It's mm -hmm. never happened. And I think even if one person said said that, that it, I'm already going to do it, but having the inspiration from somebody else, particularly my leader, makes a huge impact on how I think and how much, how far I go, how deep I can go. If you're in the start we had producers that were incredibly interested in sustainability. That gave me a whole lot of leeway of what I could do. I could talk about it, you know, to the uh, endlessly. Because I had people that were saying it's okay to talk about it. Uh, somebody else who hasn't had a chance. Was that you back there? Or? Um, Go ahead. I was just thinking, like, on my way to the director and the stage manager, and like, you know, working with the problem, I'm sure many of us have, and like, often. I only got them when talking. I just started feeling this pressure on me because I remember working in these little theaters and just like having so much to do and such little time to do it. And like, if I even got my own respirator on, it was like a good day, you know, working with God and whatever I was working with. So I think what, I, what I'm thinking, and I don't know what the answer is, but like, I feel like it's going to come from the director and God, like, if the producer, oh my God, that'd be amazing, but to build in the room for it. Like it's part of the process because otherwise, like there's just that mad rush at the beginning of the production process, and I think you have to be like it's okay because we have time to talk about it here. So this is time where you don't have to be worried about like running and doing all this other thing, and this is time for production meeting where we can talk about it. So I'm thinking, of course, the stage manager too. Is you have to like build in time and energy for this, especially where people are new. Otherwise, it, it, I think it'll feel like something else that they have to worry about. But you know, I, I think tying your comment and your comment together, at least from my discipline, 
it, what you can do to, to embrace this and, and tying into that is, look, we may be working at a regional theater in southern New Jersey, you know, with 15 lights and two dinners. That's just the way it is sometimes, right? You telling me that you want this to be as environmentally you know, sound as it possibly can be gives me the license to say, okay, well, I'm going to find gel strings from the regional theater down the block because that's what we want to do. And then building it into the schedule that, okay, Loden's going to take an extra day because we have to drive around to the nearby theaters that we've called to borrow and share gear. It comes at the beginning of the planning process because if it's a tack on at the end, that's where you're going to start to feel that pressure. It really becomes a set the tone thing from day one because then you can make the choices later on. Go ahead, Charlie. There's uh, two very common obstacles that people assume conflict with, uh, with being green. One is uh, will being green compromise the artistic integrity of what I'm trying to do? As John said, we're not prescribing everybody must do the green Gables, uh, the green Gables production. Um, so, uh, Danielle Wanatoni, obviously delivering something great artistically that was, that was greener. Um, the second is, mo is money, um, because people make the assumption that it's going to cost more to do something greener. And there's sort of three categories of greener activities. The first are things that are greener that instantly save money rather than cost money. Uh, not printing something. Uh, printing double-sided. This just saves you money instantly. There's other things that take investment that save money over time, like the fact that uh, all of the outside marquee lights Broadway have been exchanged for energy-efficient bulbs, saving about 700 tons of carbon per year. Um, there are some things that cost more, but those first two categories are most of, most of the things. And then the second piece is uh, what I describe as an information gap. And the fact that people think, oh, I don't know what the greener alternatives are, and therefore I can't take action. Um, people often, when working on any, anything meaningful, think someone else has the power. So uh, we often, this group might talk about producers, other groups might talk about directors, but everybody, thinks somebody else has more influence on what they're doing often than they do. And uh, I was speaking to a producer not that long ago, and they said, well, I can see what the directors and the lighting designers and the set designers can do, but I'm just the producer. What can I do that could make the show greener? And the, the answer is not actually an answer. We had a lot of examples of answers to what could be done, but the actual answer that I gave to her, which is a lot of what's been said on this whole panel, is ask a question. So the actual answer of what they can do, and what uh, one of the most powerful things that a director is ideally positioned to do, is just ask the question. Make it known that you're interested in this, and the answers are out there. There's tons of resources that don't take a long time to get to. So the fact that you don't know the answer of everything that should happen doesn't mean that by asking the question you won't quickly know the answer and it won't be a brilliant creative thing thought of by the set designer or the lighting designer or the other designers. 
Thanks, Charlie. Um, are we sort of have to wrap up. Anybody got something burning they want to say? It, it's actually a question, really. I'm wondering, do you have a blurb that we can put in our programs? I'm thinking about the actors that we That's a good idea. program blur? Yeah, I think that would be great. That's a great idea. All right, so obviously we could talk for a long time about this, as I said. Um, I, I want to leave you with one thing, which Danielle told me. She was working at the public theater recently, and there was plastic bottles all over the place and trash cans, and nobody was recycling anything. And I think as the one thing I know we could do as directors is if you see something, say something, uh, like, like uh, Charlie was saying. Um, I guess I want to I want to thank you all for being here and thank you all for being here and also th you know um, we should all celebrate the fact that this is the first time directors have gotten together as a group to work on this issue and hopefully there'll be many more meetings like this so um, thank you thank you for listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage this program was made possible by support from stage directors and choreographer society the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members, and generous funding from the NEA, the New York State Council on the Arts, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council.